Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. This is Triple Threat Theater, episode number 59, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Dax. Mills. This episode, we're about to get cyberpunk on your ass. Ooh, does not <laughs> compute. And I kind of wish we had called the episode, Get Cyberpunk on Your Ass. Mm, well, Because it would be easier to say than the actual title. <laughs> it is a mouthful. Hit it. <clears throat> I mean, I guess I could just say that the title of this episode is anime. True. Because that's technically what it spells. <laughs> technically. But I imagine you won't let me off the hook unless I say... I just, I just can't. <laughs> the title of this episode... <clears throat> <clears throat> Is zero one one zero 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 one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one one zero one zero zero one zero one one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one zero one. Damn. Which is binary for the word anime. I mean, we put in the effort here. I'd love to think that after hearing me announce that title on the last episode, somebody actually took the time to figure it out, but. I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I mean, if we actually like had a lot of people that listen to the show, I'm sure there'd be a maniac out there that would do it. Sure. And I commend that person, that non-existent person. <laughs> but anime, baby. Not quite 60 episodes in and uh, our second anime episode. I mean, who loves anime? These two guys. <laughs> Yeah, uh, despite the fact that we probably talked about this the last time when we did uh, uh, The Art of the Sword. Yes. That despite the fact that you and I both love anime, we both honestly have very little experience with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I mean, in considering the breadth of the world of anime that's out there, uh, I have not watched a ton. But I had seen all three of the movies that we're going to be talking about on this episode before. Oh. Interesting. Which are basically futuristic cyberpunk anime, including Appleseed from 1988, Akira, of course, also from 1988, and Ghost in the Shell from 1995. Pretty seminal works, if you think about it, in the, the history of anime. I'd say so. I mean, I think Akira and Ghost in the Shell, outside of Studio Ghibli, are probably like the biggest mainstream mm -hmm. anime films in the United States. Like I'd, I'd struggle to think of anything bigger than those aside from some of the Ghibli stuff personally. Is there anything else that comes to mind for you? I mean, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, no, I don't think so. I mean, only, only if you get into TV stuff, but that's not what we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, TV, you know, series like Dragon Ball or hell, even Cowboy Bebop, which oh, yeah. 
just had that uh, live action show, short lived live action uh, mm-hmm. adaptation not too long ago. Even back to like Voltron, like before even knew things were anime when they were anime, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. But, or Speed Racer, even. Yeah, yeah. But as far as like anime films that sort of, kind of, in a minor way, broke through the mainstream in the United States, I would say that uh, Akira and Ghost in the Shell for sure. Yeah. Appleseed, also created by Masamune Shiro, who created Ghost in the Shell as well, very much in the same kind of vein of subject matter. Mm-hmm. Just felt like it fit. I mean, there's probably dozens of other things we could have chosen for the episode, but I think it was probably me who came up with this one because oh, I'm no, the only I'd one say. stupid enough to have come up with a title like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm a big Shiro fan, so that's probably just why it ended up in there. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'd seen all three of these before. How about yourself? Uh, for me, only Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. I own, like, maybe it's like the 2002, 2004, like, kind of Appleseed remake that's CGI-ish. CG, yeah. Yeah. I'd never seen the original. Mm -hmm. So I don't actually remember too, too much even of that remake one. I mean, it's kind of one of those ones I think I watched a couple times back then and haven't haven't taken a gander again. Yeah. even same for Ghost in the Shell. I have, I still have like my, my original DVD of Ghost in the Shell is what I use to watch it for the show. Same. And then, I don't know. I feel like Akira. I probably first I would have saw that first because Akira was like one of my more like earliest like adult years of getting into anime. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure this was like a senior year in high school. Like, buddy Mikey, like, over his house, popped on Akira, and I was like, I can remember being hooked. I mean, I've seen Akira a lot. I watched it many times. Yeah, same. At the risk of repeating myself, because I don't remember how much of this we talked about back on the previous uh, anime-centric episode of Triple Threat, but... um yeah, I, I really knew not of anime until I was in high school, and um, I would say my around my sophomore, junior year of high school, I basically met an entire new group of friends who became, mm-hmm. like, my best friends in high school, and um, that's also, the, like, the same time I met Brian mm-hmm. for the first mm-hmm. time, uh, kind of through that group. We were in, like, art class together. And, uh, it's like, I was coming in from the outside and like all of the things that I got into in high school, like Kevin Smith was because of one of these people, uh, Carla, Mm -hmm. and then skateboarding was because of like my friends, uh, James and Cliff. And then, uh, like a lot of the music that I got into, like Nine Inch Nails and A Perfect Circle and whatnot. And then anime was because of like all this group of people all watched like Dragon Ball and shit. Oh, Okay. And so, like, I remember uh, one of my friends lending me, like, he had recorded on VHS tapes off of television, like, the entire uh, Frieza saga of Dragon Ball. And, like, I borrowed that and watched all the tapes and then saw some other stuff here and there. But, you know, while I liked Dragon Ball um, and some of the other things they showed me, Akira, somebody must have lent it to me on VHS or I rented it because I heard about it or something through these people. But... That is the first one that I really remember mm. 
that I took to, and it was like, well, maybe this person, their favorite is Dragon Ball, and this person prefers like uh, Vampire Hunter D. My thing when I got into anime was Akira. Nice. Because, you know, at that point, I don't think I'd had a whole lot of experience with like the David Cronenbergian body horror stuff outside of just like, I loved the movie aliens and that's body horror with the chest burster and whatnot, or Mm -hmm. John Carpenter's the thing. But like, it was body horror. It was like sci-fi. It was action. It was just like all of these things just like mixed together in a stew with amazing animation that is, it was like something I had never seen before. And that really opened the doors to like, then I got into stuff like berserk and um, some of the Gundam stuff and, you know, Cowboy Bebop and whatever. But again, like all told, if I had to put a number on it between series and movies, I've probably seen less than 50 all all told. And I love the stuff. It's just one of those yeah. weird things of like, I don't know enough about it. I don't know where to go. And like, <laughs> right. Where do you, where do you, how do you find your footing and like, yeah, you know, figure out where to go next. It's tough. Like, it might have come up on the last episode. I don't remember, like, previous guests on the show, Joel and Tony, when we were in high school, you know, we started going into Boston and Cambridge and in the the building, the garage, where was the this one-store Tokyo kid that had all figurines and statues and anime and posters. And it was just like, you know, like a dream spot to go when you're in high school. Yeah. And I don't, I'd have to ask even ask those guys because their memories are so much better than mine. But I feel like we might have started getting into anime more. And like, I was even into, I guess, more TV stuff. I really like the the newer version of Bubblegum Crisis and then um, Darkstalkers, the video game anime. Mm-hmm. Like, I had those series on tape, watched them, loved them. But I really think. I'm pretty sure it must have been like junior-ish, senior year is when I first saw Akira. And I think that's when it like really like kicked up a notch is like the like the more adult anime. You know, like that Akira felt like nothing I'd seen before. Yeah. Like Yeah, same here. Like last le- left such a lasting impression that it's just like it'll just always stick with me. Just the so much of the visuals, the music especially, kind of everything. Even the uh well, I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about it, but even like the the original voice actors, you know, that whole hmm. thing. Like Akira, like I say, is, is one of the first major anime films that like made a bit of a wave in the United States. It wasn't like all at once immediate, like everybody fell in love with it or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, between the movie coming out and then uh, Marvel Comics, uh, they had a kind of independent line called Epic. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put out the manga in like kind of Americanized single issues. And that was like one of the first like really widely reproduced uh, translated manga in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you just look at so many things have taken inspiration from Akira over the years. And so many creative people, be it in the field of comic books or movies or whatever, will oh yeah talk about how you know, inspirational that movie was to them or the the comic or just the property in general. But yeah, like I was saying, I think I really kicked up to like a higher notch. Once I saw Akira, that's when I, I knew after that I was getting into Ghosts in the Shell, that Appleseed remake, um, Evangelion. I know that came after. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, some of those other like seminal works, you know, but Akira would like kick the door open for sure on like the next level anime for me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. And I bet a lot of people would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Akira is even the first manga that I can remember ever reading. Mm. Like just never, never really had much of an interest in it before because again, like it, it all came around the, like the same time, like all this stuff hit me like a wave. Cause like I say, I met this new group of people, became friends with them. And within like a year I was like introduced to, to all these new things and like, you know, my tastes and my personality and whatever probably all changed. And Akira was at the forefront of that. And it was like right around that time that uh, Dark Horse Comics started doing the big like six volume reprints of Akira. And yeah, so I don't know. It all comes back to Akira for me, but Ghost in the Shell, another big one from the time. And oh, yeah. Like I said, the Shiro connection with Appleseed. So yeah, actually, um, well, the manga is like stuff I'd like to get into more even now. It's again, same thing I've I've said for years. It's just actually pulling the trigger. But mm-hmm. but we've talked. I don't know if on the show or not. Like um, I didn't start reading Akira until recently, but back in the day, I uh, I don't know if it's one of the first. One of the main ones was like uh, Striker, which you're also a fan of. Mm, yeah, which is the film Spriggan is based on. Yeah, and I had seen Spriggan. I forget what year it was probably around like 2003 because the anime was out and I remember hearing that it was like produced by Katsuhiro Otomo or something. Mm -hmm. And so I like, I I bought like a bootleg copy of it off of eBay or something with like the English dub and watched it and was a fan of it. But maybe because uh, the title Spriggan and Striker like I, I never knew that the there was a manga of it mm-hmm. <laughs> until you introduced that idea to me, and then it was like last year, or the year before, I bought all the English language volumes and read them all. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I had the first two forever, like back you know twenty years ago or something, mm-hmm. and didn't even know there was a third one until you told me that you had found it, <laughs> which was amazing. Yeah, uh, but that was. I'm very rarely on the forefront of things. I feel like I'm always like hearing about cool stuff later on mm-hmm. but that was one time where i could be like i was like the one striker fan i knew who was like <laughs> lost my mind when i saw that there was a film uh, anime version coming out yeah oh man the best yeah pretty much if otomo's name was attached to something i was interested back in the day like mm-hmm. there was another anime called like uh the Wolf Brigade or something like that that uh, mm. I tracked down just because he was like a producer on the anime and yep yeah I I became an enormous fan of him and still am to this day nice Shiro as well but I could dig it want to just go ahead and uh, dive into the first film here yeah let's do it all right so uh, again Akira and Appleseed came out both in 1988 but Appleseed came about two months three months first. Mm-hmm. Appleseed came out on April 21st, uh, 1988. It was a hologram. Sure was. Pretty crap one, too. It really gets on my tits that you wouldn't see us face to face. Yeah, too good to come into close contact with us humans. So I suppose we follow her orders just like she said. Sure. No turning back now. Mm-hmm. 
So have you ever read any of the Appleseed manga? No. Uh, the classic stuff by uh, Masamune Shiro, there are four volumes of it. Uh-huh. They were also printed in the kind of square-bound prestige format uh, Americanized comics in the U.S. I can't remember who published them. It might have also been Epic, but um, I have all of those. There are graphic novels of them as well, but I've read all the comics. I had seen this movie long ago, like before I read any of the manga, and uh, the the movie, the first time I watched it, honestly, didn't leave as big of an impression on me. But then later on, when I read the manga, I became like a big fan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I didn't remember a ton about this movie. And, you know, as we get into it, maybe there's a reason or two why that is. But uh, as a first time watch, uh, what, what did you think? Uh, this was the first one I watched for recording this episode. And again, I was like, you know. I remember almost next to nothing about the the remake there, really, mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, I saw it as well, like, years and years ago, uh, but I, I don't remember a lot about just it either. Nothing really registers, but, like, the some of the, the visual style, just the, the characters, they're so, so iconic. That's, like, you know, like, you know the two main characters from Appleseed if you're in this world at all. <laughs> also, I'm not even going to try... I'm, now I'm going to try to butcher a lot of names tonight or even try to remember some of my character <laughs> names. So you're really going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, but I'll apologize in advance. Well, speaking of butchering names, let's just get this right out there first and foremost. I, you know, again, I hadn't read the manga back when I first saw this movie, so it probably didn't register then. But watching it this time, uh, they completely got Briarios's name wrong. Well, they do. Yeah, uh, throughout the movie, they I, there was like a screw up in translation or something. His name is Briarios Hecatoncheries, but they call him Balerios, and I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how they pronounced his last name, but I know it was wrong because again, his last name is Hecatoncheries, mm-hmm. but they ended it with a Cles, like Heracles. Oh, Hecatoncheries or something like that. I think they only say his last name once in the film, but I caught it and I was like, what? It's all wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the female lead's name is Dune and Newt, and they got that right. Which one's pretty easy, but... Well, the first thing that took me back was the runtime, which may be similar to Tetsuo the Iron Man, like in this (laughs) less than 70-minute runtime. It's it's right around 70, yeah. It's one of the shorter things we've watched. It's like 67 minutes, and I was like, damn. I was like, I didn't even even think twice about it going in that it was going to be so short. So in the first, like, five minutes, I was like, this feels, like, old and dated. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like, this feels old today. I was like, I was like, damn. I was like, not that I had any, like, expectations, but I was like, all processing this all in my head, I was like, Akira looks so, like, next level <laughs> for the same year. Yeah. I was just like, I was just like, I kind of couldn't believe it. And then I was like, wait, I was like, Appleseed, like, I'm thinking, is this a show or, you know, like this, this feels more like the kind of like quality level of like what an anime show would have been in, at first. Mm-hmm. And it's like fine. And it's just like, you know, the views, it's super like 1988. It's just like the music, the the voice cast and everything, but at literally at one point, so this is five minutes in by 10 minutes, I literally told myself, I was like, 
I was like, this is basically just like sci-fi Miami Vice. And I'm cool <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm in. I'm digging it. I like, I like, I like what they're putting down. You know, it's got like a, it's got that eight late eighty sheen. Like I said, it's dated. Where something like Akira feels timeless, this definitely feels dated. The music's a big part yeah. of that. I think you know it's not. I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite voice cast I've ever heard in a animated movie for sure. I mean, it's not the guy they chose is not who I would have picked for Briario. So that's for no. sure. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely he's a little too much of like a. I don't know, like somebody's like proper uncle or something. He reminded just, me of like Barry from the first Resident Evil video game voice actor. <laughs> just like, oh, he just he, he sounds like the guy who's like, oh, this character is of large stature, so let's get the guy who talks like this. That's pretty good. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty spot on. Yeah, but you know me, Millsy, like all things. I mean, there's robots running around. There's mech suits. Oh yeah, you know. This starts checking off all the boxes like pretty quickly for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, I feel like I already said it myself. It's just like, it's a future police procedural, you know, mm-hmm. but it's in the 80s. Like, it was just, I just had it in my head. I was like, I am okay with this sci fi Miami Vice. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a quaint little movie. I feel like mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. Um, the thing is, like, you know, watch this, watch Akira. Put a gun to my head and t- ask me what year did it come out? I mean, the Appleseed manga came out in the mid 80s, but this compared to Akira, which I could have told you was 1988, this feels like it came out in 1976. Yes, <laughs> like it, it does. It has like uh, this kind of feel of like Astro Boy or Speed Racer a little bit or something. Or Yeah, it's like a. Just like when the, when the characters run, mm-hmm. I feel like that you know this was just like an animation shorthand uh, in like older anime. It's just like the characters' legs are like. Imagine if you're like a, a soldier and mm-hmm. uh, you're like standing at attention, yep. and your legs are like straight together below you. Mm-hmm. And then imagine if to run you just one at a time bent your leg back yeah. like uh, ninety degrees at the knee. Yeah. And just like one after the other, it's just like it looks like a Rob Liefeld drawing. It just it's you know it's stiff. It's you know utilitarian for anime, and you know the animation in it isn't bad. It's just it's simple. The character designs look simple. Like you watch um, Ghost in the Shell, and the the you know they they mirror the style of the characters off of the look of Masamune Shiro's artwork. Mm-hmm. You look at Akira, same thing for Katsuhiro Otomo. You look at this, and this looks more like we gave it to a generic animation house and they just used their house style, I kind feel like of. That, maybe that's just what like fits with me with just like the, the, the TV show feeling of it. It's like... It's some, generic yeah, looking. Yeah, someone was like presented this, and they're just like, animate this how you would do anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, draw these characters just in that, like you said, the house style. I mean, those every robot, every person runs exactly like you just described. Yeah, it just makes me think of like, you know, when I was younger, this is probably like late 90s, early 2000s. But do you remember when the Men in Black movie came out and there was a Men in Black animated series for a little while there? Yeah, I never watched it, but I know it was but a But you're aware that it yeah, existed yeah. in like the late 90s. And then when the, the 90s American Godzilla movie came out. 
there was a Godzilla animated mm. series mm-hmm. based on that. And then it's crazy even to think that this happened, but the um, the Frank Miller, Jeff Darrow comic book, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot got an animated series like in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and you look at all three of those, they're all by the same animation team with the same character designer. So the style of all three of them mm. is the same. But if you look at it compared to every other animated show that was out at the time, the three of those shows and anything else those guys did look completely different from everything else being mm. done at the time. And that's mm. kind of what this feels like. It feels like, you know, there's probably X number of animation studios and they each have their own look and Appleseed just landed at this one, whoever did it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not bad. It's just quaint is the yeah. best word that, I can think to describe it. Yeah, I'm not going to shoot on like there's especially for 1988, it, you could find any number of American or other cartoons that look are hurting compared to this, I'm sure. I mean, what was the one that we watched on the uh, Art of the Sword episode, uh, the one that was short? Um, God, it wasn't Ninja Scroll or Sword of the Stranger. It yeah, was... whatever the third one was that we, you know, Jesus, have pretty that? much forgotten because it was the weak link of the three. Like, that was worse than this, I think, but... Yeah, oh yeah. And I mean, there's stuff in this that looks cool. There's like interesting lighting effects and stuff that they do sometimes. And there's moments of really cool fluid animation. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, it feels lesser than. And like being a big Masamune Shiro fan and like looking at the comics, especially the manga, I feel like Appleseed deserved better than this. (laughs) And it maybe could have been a bigger deal than it was if, uh, if it, you know was handled a little better especially again knowing that akira came out the same year and look what they did with that doesn't even make sense really yeah not that every anime should or could be as good as akira was because that's like a shining light we'll talk about Mm -hmm. what makes that movie so special visually when we get to it but Again, it's been a long time since I've seen the like early 2000s Appleseed anime, and I did a little reading and saw that a lot of people consider that to be like the Appleseed anime. Mm. Um, I remember visually, like, I, I don't remember a lot about what that one looked like or what the story was, but I just remember visually I wasn't super into it because of all the CG. But Yeah, it's got a, a, she- a certain sheen to it. I yeah. do got, want to rewatch it. I mean, I have it, so... Yeah, I'm curious to see it again now after revisiting this as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, the the characters are kind of there in this. It's not based directly from what I can recall off of any of the four stories from the manga. No, it's not. I remember reading that somewhere leading up to the show. It's not based on anything from the books. Yeah. You know, the story's not bad. It's kind of, you know, a cyberpunk gobbledygook. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's a little good cops with something to prove type of story. Yeah, basically the plot is that um, in the future, there's like, was it after like a world war or something like that? I know that that's yes. also part of the plot in Akira, so it gets a little confusing. When yeah, but this one has like the wastelands or whatever. Yeah, so there was like a world war or something like that, and you know, large part of the the planet has become a wasteland. But there's this futuristic city that they've built called Olympus, and it's supposed to be. It almost reminded me of the Matrix when I was like reading the actual explanation of it. Like it was supposed to be like 
like in in the second Matrix movie, they explain that uh, the first time that they tried to build a, the Matrix for like the the human mind to be entertained by while they were like leeching the bodies of their essential fluids that the <laughs> machines mm-hmm. needed. Um, they tried to make it a utopia, but the human mind rejected it. And that's kind of the idea here. It's not a virtual reality, but this city that they built to like save society is supposed to be this like utopia. But for one of the main characters who ends up being essentially the main villain, he's a good cop, but his wife, when they were like rescued from the wasteland and moved into the city, it felt like a, you know, there's a very blunt metaphor in -hmm. the movie that she felt like a caged bird uh, Mm -hmm. in the city. And so she ends up taking her own life despite the fact that it's like the seemingly perfect place and then her husband, even though he's a cop, he's now, like, turned against the police force and wants to, like, destroy the um, the central, like, computer that runs the entire city because he feels that, like, the hu- humanity needs a bit of chaos and the mm. city is just, like, turning everybody into milk toast, boring, like... Right. Which is kind of a lot for, like, a beat cop to take on. <laughs> Yeah, especially when this world is so futuristic, like the way that it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, I mean, it gets gets people running around in mech suits and yeah. I mean, the real know, thing you watch this movie spider for mechs. Is, and yeah, like the mech suits and that like gigantic uh, crabish kind yeah, of <laughs> like that spider. big crazy squid crab robot <laughs> right <laughs> the thing. And there's the side villain with the truly terrifying name that strikes fear into the hearts of men, A.J. Sebastian. Yes. Who, that read, if that's like, not a Miami Vice villain name, then I don't know what is. He's like a, a cybernetic villain who mm-hmm. has like these robot parts and there's there's a part in the movie where he like upgrades himself to have like yeah. these crazy claws and everything. Mm-hmm. And, so I'm all about that, of course. That was a pretty good suit too. Yeah, so... The movie being relatively short, uh, they don't spend a ton of time on the average story and there's a fair amount of action and Mm -hmm. yeah. So like overall, I, I like it. I definitely, again, knowing the manga, I feel like they missed an opportunity here, but potentially that was rectified a couple decades later by the, uh, the other one that we've referenced a few times. Right. But as far as this one is concerned, you know, we obviously know this having, at least both seen Akira and Ghost in the Shell before, like this one is the weak link visually. But I will say that while it's not as mind blowing as something like Akira to watch, um, you know, I do like the style of it. Uh, There is still like a nostalgic feeling that I get from watching a movie like this. Uh, And again, there are points where it looks better. It's one of those weird instances where, like, some shots of the giant, like, squid crab mech thing are, mm-hmm. like, really impressive looking and the animation is really good. And then other times it looks like, oh, they just uh, gave this scene to the intern to animate or something. Yeah. Well, they just run a, run the camera across a static shot of things, you know, like <laughs> yeah. those, those uh, corner cutting. But, yeah, I, I watched enough stuff that looked like this back in the day that, uh, I don't know, there still is, like, a little bit of a nostalgic feeling yeah. for me. The voice cast is not great, but regardless, like, I like the two main characters. Like, I could watch more of their antics in Olympus, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of similar stuff. I mean, I've always I've always enjoyed those kind of things, so I could watch more. It definitely wasn't, like, a turnoff. 
Yeah. It, I mean, you mentioned that it kind of felt like a like a series. Mm-hmm. You know, Akira and Ghost in the Shell have these like kind of finite stories with their main characters, but honestly, Appleseed, you know, they're just basically future police. Like that could have been the good basis for a actual oh, yeah. anime series. Yeah. I'm a little surprised it never happened, at least not that I'm aware of. But I mean, if anything out of this episode, I really want to want I really want to read the mangas for all of these. I have how many uh, volumes of Akira manga are there? I have three of those. Read three and love them. I mean, they're amazing. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely uh, part of the collection I need to I need to complete. But I was looking online for different versions of the manga for the other two because I think I think there's only like one seminal book for Ghost in the Shell. But yeah, Ghost in the Shell had a couple of sequels, but the main story that the animated movie is based on is just mm-hmm. the original volume, which that's the only one I have. I feel like it's the only one you really need. Is that like um, some newer version that came out recently, or you got some old school one? Or I have the hardcover. It might be put out by Kodansha. I, I can't recall. Okay. Something I have to look in, into. But then Appleseed, I don't really know. A while back, they somebody printed some like smaller versions of them. Mm-hmm. You know, with these ones with like the really detailed art by like Otomo or or Shiro, I prefer to have them printed bigger. And mm-hmm. like the original single issues that were released in the U.S. of Appleseed are normal comic size, and the old trade paperbacks are somebody a couple years back, well, probably more than a couple at this point, like within the last like decade and a half put out smaller versions which i didn't end up buying just because i felt that they were too small <laughs> mm. but uh, i have the old singles so i can always flip through those but yeah yeah i highly recommend the uh appleseed manga over this particular anime but i mean yeah good stuff i could i could see that making sense mm-hmm. he's just between those two guys and like honestly a lot of anime or uh, manga artists but Otomo and Shiro are the guys that I always go to for inspiration when I'm like, oh, I want to draw like an exciting action sequence or something because mm. yeah, they just too. do like motion and choreography so well. Yeah. And Amen. yeah, Appleseed's a big, a big part of that. There's some really cool action sequences in those books. Amen to that, Millsy. <laughs> so uh, anything else on Appleseed or shall we mm, move on? Yeah, let's keep it going. All right. Just a few months later. Uh, in July of 1988, we got Akira. Uh, what the hell is this Akira thing, huh? I asked Ryu one time. He told me that Akira is ultimate energy. Ultimate energy? Humans do all kinds of things during their lifetime, right? Discovering things. Building things. Things like houses. High-speed trains, motorcycles, bridges and cities, rockets. So where do you suppose all that knowledge and energy comes from? Humans were once like monkeys, right? And before that, like reptiles and fish. And even before that, plankton and amoebas. Even little creatures like those have incredible amounts of energy inside them. Oh, yes, sir. It's in the genes, right? And even before that, maybe there was genetic material in the air and water. Even in the particles of dust in space. And if that's the truth, then what sort of memories are hidden within them? 
The beginning of the universe? Or maybe even before that. What's with all the crazy talk? Are you sure you're okay? Listen to ya. Or did you get bonked on the head back there? And what if everyone shares those ancient memories? What if there were some mistakes in the progression? Then something goes wrong like an amoeba is suddenly given the higher powers that a human has. Akira is an amoeba then? Amoebas don't build their own houses and bridges, do they? They just devour all the food they can find around them. Is that what Tetsuo's doing? Are you saying he has that kind of energy? It goes without saying, like, Appleseed doesn't not compare to this movie in any way when it's yeah. the same year. Because, I mean, today, you know, going on 40 years later still, it's just like, Akira is next level. Yeah. So I had years and years ago the VHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at some point I got, there was like a special edition DVD that was in, it was, so I don't know the full history of this, but it originally came out in like, maybe in 1988, around the late eighties, early nineties in the U S it was theatrically released and then it was available on VHS and it had the original English language dub. And then there's another company, I think it's Pioneer is the name of the company that, uh, in like the early two thousands, they like remastered the film and did a new English language dub and released a special edition of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I had like that original special edition release on DVD. It came in like a, a metal box and it was two discs. And I remember watching all the special features where they interviewed the actors who did like the new, the new voice uh, recordings. And so that was the version I probably watched the most times. And then if I'm not mistaken, a couple years ago, you and I got to talking, and I think you had just bought the Blu-ray of Akira, mm-hmm. and I like didn't know there was a Blu-ray or had never thought to look it up on Blu-ray. And then I think as a gift for like my birthday or Christmas or something, you gave me the Blu-ray, and you know it went on my shelf, and I had not watched the Blu-ray, so mm-hmm. I popped it in for the first time the other day to watch it for this show. Oh, nice! And I don't know if it's just that I hadn't seen it in so long. Or that I was watching it with more of a critical eye because I knew I was going to be reviewing it for the show. Or if it's just because the Blu-ray is like such high quality or some combination of the three. But holy shit, this movie still looks fucking unbelievable. Talk about it. I mean... I was just finding, like, I I love the story. I know the story very well because I've seen it so many times. But, man, I I, I don't know if it's the the, the Blu-ray quality, but I was just, I felt like I was watching it for the first time all over again visually. Just, like, so many little things. I was even noticing, like, flaws in the animation that I never noticed before. Mm. But it just, it looks so amazing. And it just... I still think, you know, there's tons of anime that has come out since, and a Mm -hmm. lot of it is amazing, but I honestly don't know if there's a better looking traditionally done anime, like with, with little to no CG. There is some CG in this, like those computer wave patterns that the doctor's always looking at in his little mobile command unit. But I think that's it though. Yeah. But it, it is fucking mind-blowing the animation in this thing i love like i've never had like a great like home theater setup Mm -hmm. but like watching stuff like this is when i'm always like god i wish i had like 
70 inches in like surround sound like because <laughs> it does i i was meaning to look into it to see because it does it looks phenomenal i don't know how they how they do transfers from film negatives or whatever they do but it looks and sounds amazing yeah now did which version of the audio did you watch um whichever one automatically played when i put the movie in oh okay because I can't watch. It's like the OG version is so ingrained in me. Like, I can't watch, like, the 2004. Really? Yeah, because it's, like, it's just, it just doesn't feel right. Well, like I said, I I have watched the 2004 one most of the time because, you know, I probably discovered the movie in, like, the, I don't know, early 2000s. And then, mm-hmm. like, a couple years later, the remastered one came out. And like I said, I immediately got that special edition DVD. Right. So I would say that if I've watched Akira, you know, 15 times over the years, probably 12 of them have been mm. with the the current mm. voice recordings. Things like, it's like you only see it in these kind of situations, like something that's dubbed. Like, there's certainly people, like, on both sides of the fence. I don't know if necessarily for you, but just that would say, oh, yeah, it's only the 2004 version for me versus the old one or vice versa. So do you think it's better or it's just the one that you prefer because you're more familiar with it? Or is um, are there like specific things about it you? I've never even gotten through the whole thing on the 2004 version. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just I'm just I don't know if it's uh I guess I don't. It, it would almost to me. It would almost be like if you changed the music in Akira too. You know, even though they didn't. But it's just like it's just so like those voice actors, especially for um, Tetsuo and Kaneda, just it just doesn't even feel right to the point where I I don't Ooh. know if I've even gotten five or ten minutes past the 2004 version. So the Blu-ray that we both have has both, both versions. Yes. Okay, I'll have to pop it in and watch a little with the original I and see think, how I how I feel. I think I just watched it. I think I had to change it to the 88 version. I think it I think it starts auto starts with the I imagine version. that the newer one. I mean, it's the yeah. one I was familiar with, yeah, so. Yeah. But uh speaking of the music, which is just like amazing in this all the sound effects and the the music and the score, it's just like, I don't know, man. There's just like nothing like it. I agree. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody needs the the premise of this one described to them, but uh, after World War III, there, the government had been experimenting on children who had like uh, latent telekinesis and telepathic powers. Things went wrong with uh, one of the subjects named Akira. And they basically buried uh, his remains deep underground. And they were continuing to experiment on some other kids. Uh, one of them, Takashi, is kidnapped basically by this like, group of radicals. And he ends up getting loose and happens across the path of a member of a motorcycle gang. And uh, when... Tetsuo, the gang member, comes into contact with Takashi. It, like, awakens some extremely dangerous powers within him that, of course, the government then immediately steps in and meddles with and makes Mm -hmm. him suddenly more powerful than he could ever hope to control. And uh, through a wild series of events, he turns into a giant mutant baby. (laughs) Yeah. All, All accurate. All amazing. 
But yeah, just, I don't know, like I kind of talked about in the opening to the show, there's just so many iconic and inspirational uh, things in this movie, just from the uh, the, the 80s obsession with telekinesis, which obviously <laughs> went across uh. the pond because you have stuff like uh, Carrie and Firestarter, which mm-hmm. came from Steve, the mind of Stephen King. And mm-hmm. then you have stuff like... Um, there was another Brian De Palma. He he also directed Carrie, but he did another telekinesis movie called uh, The Fury. Mm. Uh, people were just obsessed with that shit in the 1980s, and it has an element of that. It's got like the crazy body horror stuff. It's got like a little bit of a post-apocalyptic vibe because of like the rundown post-war city. Mm-hmm. Um, the biker gang, crazy futuristic bike that Kaneda oh. has, and like the iconic outfit that he wears and it's just it's like Katsuhiro Tomo somehow like you know broke into the fourth dimension and just pulled all these things that yeah. had either never been done or never been combined in such a way before and it's just like a visionary yeah it's like weirdly kitchen sink in mm-hmm. all of the different influences that it brings into it and oh, it yeah. just comes out on the other side as a Holy singular and unique vision that, yeah. I mean, if if anything blows my mind about Akira, it's that the manga is so fucking great, and then this animated movie, which is so different from the manga, is also so fucking great. Like they made this anime before the manga was even completed. Mm-hmm. The manga didn't finish publication until 1990, which was two years after this movie came out. Otomo directed this movie while he was doing the uh, the manga installments. And I did read, of course, this isn't surprising, that the production of the manga slowed a bit at that point. But he mm-hmm. was putting out a chapter every two weeks, essentially, in Young Magazine. And every chapter was like 20 pages or something Damn. like that. That's and crazy. he did have assistants. He had an art assistant. It ended up at some point I read uh, getting up to him having like four different assistants just because of the crunch. Mm-hmm. But he would essentially draw in all the backgrounds. And then one of his assistants would ink all the backgrounds with like tech pens and stuff. And then Otomo would go back in and do the finishes himself on the characters and add like detailing to the backgrounds. So it wasn't 100% all him by himself, Mm -hmm. but still, that's a massive amount of work. Oh, God, yeah. And, I mean, there's just entire swaths of the manga that are missing from the movie. Uh, There's characters like Lady Biako, who is like, you see her like twice in the movie. She's the one on the bridge, like the old woman that they're like holding up, and she's got like the the string of beads, and then she like like falls into the water. Church of Akira. Yeah, she's a major character in the manga and you just see her in the movie um the clown gang they are a big part of the manga and you see them in the very beginning of the movie there's a couple characters that aren't even in the film but that's the thing that blows my mind the most is that akira is one of my all-time favorite comics you know regardless of u.s comics or manga or or whatever Mm -hmm. it's just amazing but still the movie manages to also be incredible while taking what would probably be like uh, enough content to fill like a 24-hour film and cramming it down into two hours. So good. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's just an incredible feat. 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I have nothing bad to say about it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bookended so well, like from the opening action to ending action, there's plenty in between. It's so next level that it's just, you know, the, the amount of things that like influence going forward is just like innumerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes me love movies. Like I'm so like through and through it, a fan of art, comic books, especially, but you know, it kind of will, for me, will always go hand in hand with movies. Cause when, when, once it's like the moving picture and then you add in the music and everything, like, and when it's done so well and, and melded together so well, like it is in Akira, it's just, I, I could watch this movie over and over and I have, and will continue <laughs> by the rest of my life. Like this is one of those movies. Yeah. It's never, it's never going to be not good. It blew my mind when I first saw it, and it's still it, – it, it, there's no trailing off for this movie for me. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, like I said. It it felt like watching it again for the first time almost, seeing it mm-hmm. again this time. Yeah. I mean, just the fluidity of the animation and, you know, even in Ghost in the Shell, which, you know, we'll talk about in mo- uh, momentarily, also looks really good. You know, came out, mm-hmm. you know, going on a decade after this, but – I still feel like there are more corners cut in that film than there are in this one where you'll have like uh like there was a specific shot in ghost in the shell that I recall where two characters are having a conversation and they're riding in an elevator. And mm-hmm. so what you can have is just like a single image that is like the background of like the city outside the elevator, which looks amazing. And then when one of the characters is talking, it's like from behind. So there's no movement at all. And the other character, he's like slightly turned so you can see his jaw kind of bouncing up and down. But otherwise, it was just like slowly panning the city by. And it was like a minute long sequence. And, you know, you could that's just a stylistic choice. I'm not saying that like, oh, they just like, you know, took the easy way out for one minute of their film or whatever. But like, I can't think of anything like that in Akira. I was going to say, no, because the flip side of that is... Even like when you there's that one shot, which is one of my favorite in the movie, even out of, you know, a thousand. But when they first are about to get into it with the clown gang Mm -hmm. and the music really kicks in and there's it's almost like the city, but it's on like three separate planes (laughs) where like, you know, like where there's like buildings are separating and Mm -hmm. you'll see in the book, but the buildings behind that. Yep. I mean, it's three seconds of screen time, but it's like it blows my mind every time I see that. And that's yeah. like the kind of thing where, yeah, they could have just panned across that static shot, but no, they went the complete opposite direction. Yeah, and it's like I think it feels so cinematic because, like, compare it to something like Appleseed, and we talked about how you know it feels like simpler and more quaint. And a thing that they like, okay, even a better example is Dragon Ball Z. So anybody who's ever watched any Dragon Ball or is even into anime probably knows of the trope of like characters in Dragon Ball standing and posing for like ridiculous amounts of time while they're either talking or like thinking things in their heads Mm -hmm. to the point where you can watch an episode of Dragon Ball and feel like within the world of the show, two minutes took place during an entire half hour episode because like there's so much just standing and posing. And part of the reason (laughs) for that is because it's like it's 
cheap when you're giving exposition yeah. to just have characters standing there and not doing anything because then, you know, you only need a couple of keyframes of animation and then like the mouth moving or something. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes not even like I was talking about with the part in uh, Ghost in the Shell where they're riding up the elevator and it's shot from behind. But, you know, what makes a, a live action film feel so much more cinematic from that is because you don't have to illustrate everything like if you want to shoot somebody talking and like walking in front of a building you just shoot it and it's physically there and then it's on film you don't like in an animated movie you obviously have to create all of that from scratch Mm -hmm. and so reusing backgrounds or focusing on one angle for a long time is more common but in akira i mean there were times where i was like stepping outside of the movie and thinking to myself like that incredible background they just showed for like five seconds and we'll never see it mm. again. Yep. But it's like Katsuhiro Tomo wanted it to look like a real movie that would like in a real film, there's never a time when somebody thinks like, Oh, well I'll just hang on this shot so that I don't have to show a different background. Like right. if you want to, you can. <laughs> and uh, that it feels like they went out of their way to never cut a single corner in mm-hmm. this movie. I mean, it could be said about so many things, but like, it's so vital to this movie that Otomo was the one making it. Yep. Rather than it just being adapted from his work, of course. But yeah. And I think that that plays into the, the how good this really is. Mm hmm. So, Katsuhiro Otomo, while he was doing the manga, he had apparently had it pitched to him a couple times to do an anime series, but he was kind of against the idea. Finally, he decided that unlike something like Appleseed, which like we said, it feels like, you know, it just kind of went to a studio and they did their thing with it. He finally agreed to do a film adaptation of the series on the grounds that he retained creative control over the project Mm -hmm. because he had done some work on an anime on an OVA called Harmageddon Genma Wars in 1983 and he had like a bad experience on it. So if he was going to do like an anime based on one of his properties, he wanted to have creative control, which I mean, that sense. was the decision that sparked the entire history of this anime. So in order to bring it to fruition the way that he wanted it to be, he actually convinced a bunch of corporations to form what they called the Akira Committee. And this included Kodansha, Mainichi Broadcasting System, Bandai, Hakuhodo, Toho, Laserdisc Corporation, and Sumitomo Corporation. I've heard of about half of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Bandai is in the anime field. Kodansha, I think, as well. They're also a book publisher. Uh, Toho is a film company. Laserdisc Corporation, obviously, we can all figure out what yeah. that is. But by getting all of those companies to back it and pony up the unusually high combined sum of uh, like what they needed to make this movie. This was at the time the most expensive anime film ever produced because mm-hmm. they got all of those people invested in it. And then Otomo has called making the film before finishing the manga, quote, the worst possible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did come around to liking having two similar but different versions of the same story. Mm-hmm. He originally felt that uh, they were cutting too much of the original film or of the mm-hmm. original story for the film. But uh, this is another crazy statistic to me. Uh, the film consists of 160,000 individual drawings. 
which I wouldn't know this, but it is more than twice the norm for an anime of a similar length. No way. So that is where you get like all the incredible character acting. And Mm -hmm. there's just certain sequences when Kaneda, for example, is, you know, saying something in a certain way, like sarcastic or whatever. And you just look at his face and it's just like, man, characters in in anime don't normally have facial expressions and acting like this. Well, it makes sense too. Cause when you think about like, uh, when you think about the climax and Tetsuo loses his arm and he's, he builds himself that robot arm. And then when it turns into like that mutating mess of a, you know, a biomechanical mass. Like, mm-hmm. And there's just like all those like, wires and undulating bits and stuff like that totally makes sense that because that looks so good and that's even like something i just like love in anime that's like singular to anime like if you watch i mean even on my computer i have like countless like gifts i've saved over the year i'll be just be like it could be a random like mech suit from gundam like landing or taking off but it doesn't just land or take off it's got like 17 parts have to like click and spin and like whir and detach and then it takes off like nothing is like ever done quickly you like you watch evangelion same kind of thing there's always like little moving moving parts and little bits mm-hmm. akira does it on like the body horror side of things <laughs> you know and that would totally make sense to me like saying something like that, like, yeah, there's twice as many drawings. Yeah. And if there's any part of the movie where I feel like there are some consistent flaws, it is that end part that you're talking about just because there's so fucking much going on. But mm-hmm. I mean, uh, certain yeah. things during that sequence just give it this feeling of life because oh yeah, it doesn't look like to the eye exactly like physically like you would expect it to or something like that, mm-hmm. but. And, like, could never look as good as it does in any other, like, medium. No. Live action then no, or agree. now. Under no circumstances. Yeah. Like, it needed to be animated. Another crazy thing about this movie, <laughs> this is another one where, like, I wouldn't have known what the baseline for something like this is, but the film utilizes 327 different colors, which is or was at least at the time another record for an anime film and approximately 50 of the colors used in the movie were created exclusively for this film Jesus. so like i'm guessing what that means is that there is like a certain batch of of colors that they'll use to paint the the cells for mm-hmm. like a hand animated film like this and that you know there's like a standard let's say 300 of them And they just were like, well, this isn't enough. We need like a slightly different shade of orange for this or whatever. And so they go in, create a new color that you wouldn't typically be found in a movie like this. And uh, the reason that that statistic is so high is because most of the movie takes place at night, which is apparently a setting that's traditionally avoided by animators because of the increased color requirements. Mm. But again, Otomo refused to cut a single corner in the making of this Amazing. movie. And it's and it, even though it's taking place at night, like you would never say that movie's dark. It's bright. Oh yeah. It's and vivid vibrant. and vibrant. Oh, yeah. It's just a masterpiece, Millsy. It absolutely is. I 
<laughs> I mean, it's tough to say. We've watched a lot of movies for this show, but this might mm-hmm. be the best movie we've ever watched for this show. Ooh, I mean, I'm not going to argue that right now because when it comes down to all aspects and just cultural impact as well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not much being a cure. <laughs> so this next little detail, uh, I actually don't know if I've ever watched a Japanese language version of this film i've pretty much always watched it dubbed because this is a movie that you know getting a theatrical release back in the late 80s early 90s uh, they weren't even going to attempt to try and release a subtitled version of this movie Mm -hmm. so there's always been an, an english dub for us to to watch but another unique thing about this movie is that the original japanese dub was pre scored beforehand meaning that they recorded the character dialogue before animating the movie so that they could match the animation to the voice recordings, which is also probably part of the reason why the, uh, God damn. like the actual acting of the characters is so good because they could hear like the intonation of the actors and then match what they felt the body should be doing instead of like, okay, now we're going to do a generic, like I'm surprised motion mm-hmm. for the character and then have somebody fill in the, uh, the dialogue later. Imagine being that good at your job. (laughs) And so pre-scoring like that is, uh, from what I was reading, it was a first for an anime film. They had never done it before. And it's still rarely done today because it's more difficult. You know, Tomo. (laughs) But I mean, you read stuff like that and it's just like, well, obviously this movie is amazing. I mean, the subject matter was already great. So, again, they could have fucked up the adaptation, but with the original guy doing it, it's less likely it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then the attention to detail and the refusal to cut any corners gives us a product that has stood the test of time. I agree with you. Like, it, unlike something like Appleseed, it does not feel dated in the least. No. And I, like even the the music helps with that because it's not a typical score. The, the music in Appleseed, like, I kind of liked because it's, cheesy but like you said Mm -hmm. it feels like something that would be in an 80s cop show oh yeah but the music in this is also like completely different from the score in like any other movie (laughs) yeah it's like i mean it's a mix it's like an electronic tribal music yeah you know it's just it's 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 its own thing just like the rest of the movie so like you know it being set in the future and everything There's very little to, like, link it to a specific time period. I mean, it also probably helps that if there are things that make it feel like Japanese 80s, Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't translate as much to us because Japanese, like, culture is already foreign to us. So Mm -hmm. it's not something we're, like, hyper familiar with. But, I mean, if I didn't know that it came out in the eighties. Like I could believe that this was a film that was produced last year because oh, it yeah. looks better, you know, not using CG than pretty much anything else that's I mean, been produced in the years since. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You're not wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't follow a, like a script of like how to do these things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's set its own path and it's just, it's like a shining light on animated movies, Mills. Yeah. It's just a movie that I already loved, and it had been a couple years since I watched it, and I just, I feel like I fell in love with it all over again. Yeah. I actually forgot that I got you that Blu-ray. Yeah. Which just makes, makes my heart warm. 
And yeah, the uh, the manga is always at the top of my like. I need to reread that uh, list. I really need to get those remaining three volumes. Yeah, it's just wild to think that, like you said, uh, Tetsuo gets his arm blown off by the soul laser, like mm-hmm. in the third act of the movie, right before the climax. In the manga, it happens in the second of six volumes. Yeah, wild. <laughs> he spends more than half of the story missing an arm. It's just, it's crazy how they were able to like cobble together a two hour version of that story mm-hmm. before it was even completed. And it's so good. That's, that will still remain the thing that blows my mind the most. Yeah. It's just, it feels like it shouldn't be possible. No. But. Yeah. Kira is just like a perfect storm. Yeah. Of like things that shouldn't have worked out as well as they did. Mm hmm. But Sensei Otomo, he made it happen. It's, it's amazing. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> All right. Before we talk about Akira for another half hour, mm, let's go ahead and move on to our third and final film. Uh, from 1995, we have Ghost in the Shell. Just another unidentified corpse. Hey. You will not find a corpse because I have never possessed a body. Why are your sensors on? What the hell is this? All external controls are turned off. The body's using its own power source. I entered this body because I was unable to overcome Section 6's reactive barriers. However, what you are now witnessing is an act of my own free will. As a sentient life form, I hereby demand political asylum. Is this a joke? Ridiculous! It's programmed for self-preservation! It can also be argued that DNA is nothing more than a program designed to preserve itself. Life has become more complex in the overwhelming sea of information. And life, when organized into species, relies upon genes to be its memory system. So man is an individual only because of his intangible memory. And memory cannot be defined, but it defines mankind. The advent of computers and the subsequent accumulation of incalculable data has given rise to a new system of memory and thought parallel to your own. Humanity has underestimated the consequences of computerization. Nonsense! This babble offers no proof at all that you're a living, thinking life form. And can you offer me proof of your existence? How can you, when neither modern science nor philosophy can explain what life is? Who the hell is this? Even if you do have a ghost, we don't offer freedom to criminals. It's the wrong place and time to defect. Time has been on my side, but by acquiring a body, I am now subject to the possibility of dying. Fortunately, there is no death sentence in this country. What is it? Artificial intelligence? Incorrect. I am not an AI. My code name is Project 2501. I am a living, thinking entity who was created in the sea of information. So if I remember correctly, this is one that was recommended to me by a friend based on how much I liked Akira. Mm-hmm. Just presumably because they're both like, you know, futuristic sci-fi rather than, you know, fantasy like Dragon Ball or something that was big at the at the time. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, animation is incredible and there's like great sequences in this movie. But Ghost in the Shell, the anime, has never been like an all-time favorite of mine. I don't know if that's scandalous or surprising to hear. Um, Maybe. I don't know. It's like... Same for me. Like, I think I only watched it the one time, like bought it, watched it, enjoyed it, you know, 
put it on the shelf and haven't like really revisited it. Cause even like, you know, seeing like the live action remake in the theater being like, Oh, what of this is in the original anime? Like I know like some part of this opening scene, spider tank, like some of that stuff, but I (laughs) couldn't remember enough. Yeah. So it was nice to revisit it. It's funny. I mean, you could probably make the argument that ghost in the shell, the property is more iconic than the movie. I I could I could get behind you there. Just because I mean I enjoyed it. I think it's great. I liked it more than I th- even thought I was going to cuz I just wasn't sure. I was like I was like, "Oh no, it's 95. Like they they pull some like CG tricks in this and it's like you know, it's got a certain also watching it on DVD, so it's kind of I wasn't, you know, uh particularly impressed by like the quality. Mm-hmm. You know, but I was like, it's also a DVD. So I was like, I don't know, like, would this even look better? You know, it's kind of got that, the aesthetic of Ghost in the Shell is like washed out cyberpunk where Akira is like, you know, a dark hand, but still and vibrant and everything. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's maybe like a sign of the times, I feel like, Ghost in the Shell. Like it feels, it feels like 1995 to me, but again, back to Appleseed feels like it came out in the year it came out. Akira is timeless. It goes to shell does feel like a mid nineties movie, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a negative, but it just, it feels like a product of its time. Ghost in the Shell looks and feels like it, it looks great. Absolutely. Like, just yeah. say that right off the bat. It looks and feels like, I feel like a lot of anime did in like the late Mm -hmm. 90s early 2000s which again you know Appleseed felt very much of its time or like from a time before when it actually came out Akira again it's tough to compare because that as we just discussed is such such like a singular unique product that came together because of a very specific set of circumstances that aren't just going to be you know repeated willy-nilly by every production out there Mm mm-hmm yeah, Ghost in the Shell looks great, but um, it just it it looks and feels a little samey <laughs> with a lot of other really? things from the time. I feel yeah, yeah, it's, it it has that and that kind of sheen to it. My biggest critique of the film is that I think it's kind of boring. <laughs> it's it actually this was a short runtime where I was like, this could use a little more. Actual, do you know what the actual uh, uh, runtime of this one is? It's like 93 minutes or something. See, I feel like with the story that's told, like if you took Mm -hmm. everything in the movie and you shortened it to the length of Appleseed, I feel like that runtime would fit the story being told better. I feel like there's a lot of just like very dull, kind of mood piece scenes of like characters just staring and. Not a whole lot going on. There's a couple of exceptional sequences in the yeah. movie, like the the spider tank sequence at the end, or the uh, the like ankle deep water like chase scene with the garbage man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like this movie it's a little it's it drags a little bit for me, and that's I that's think, part of the reason why I've never absolutely loved it. I feel. I think back to like what I was saying, like maybe it doesn't necessarily need to be longer it just needs like more like worthwhile story for me mm-hmm. like yeah because you could you're 100 percent correct about you know the some of the the 
the runtime is like padded out with some of those like uh flourishes where to mm-hmm. me it could have like a little more like meat to the story. Yeah. Like it's not particularly compelling story no. of like a rogue AI, you know, bouncing around from different cyborg bodies or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's it was a little lackluster in that regard. Yeah. Visuals are great. I mean, there's the, the so many iconic shots. I mean, Spider Tank. Her trying to rip the the uh, top of it open and rips her body apart. It's the opening. It's the 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 garbage man sequence. Like all that stuff looks great. I love the character designs. I think the major is like so specific. Like her look mm-hmm. looks. Uh, her in particular looks unlike a lot of anime characters, which I really like. One of the interesting things is that. Uh... Her design for the movie is actually a bit different than it is in the uh, the manga. Because mm-hmm. Shiro, so <laughs> Masamune Shiro, an incredible artist. He is one of these guys, though, that like I kind of prefer his work at the beginning of his, or earlier on in his career. Because like a lot of anime, as he progressed, he got more into like using computers in his artwork and using like weird computer patterns and things. Mm. And he also got a little into the like cheesecakey, like over sexualized, like ridiculous, enormous breasts and like skin tight outfit kind of stuff. I was reading on Amazon about like a box set of the manga. Mm -hmm. And I think like one of the reviews was like, that's entirely what like the third volume is. Yeah. So there's a series of art books uh, of Masamune Shiro's art called Intron Depot. There are four volumes. I have all four. The first one, in my opinion, is an absolute must have. It is like all of the like concept art and like stuff that he was doing back around the time of Appleseed. And then as soon as you get into the second volume and it moves more into the Ghost in the Shell era... You start to see more CG and more like cheesecake art and stuff. And his art is still good, but I feel like it's like a weird degradation for me. (laughs) And the major in the comic was more of like a kind of silly character. And she was also supposed to be younger. So they like aged her up and made her more like serious in the, uh, and like mature in the mm-hmm. movie, which I think is probably a, a good thing for the story that they were trying to tell. But yeah, Shiro, his uh, <laughs> his focus and his uh, style definitely uh, go a little off the deep end for me later on. Mizzy, what's your boy got to do to get this Intron Depot Volume 1? I mean, is that a thing that's like kicking around out there in the world? Or? Uh, I mean, I've had mine for many years, but yeah, you can probably get it on like Amazon or eBay or something. I don't know. I don't think it's still in print, but. Right. You ought to be able to get oh. your hands on one. Oh, it's looking nice. Yeah, Intron Depot Volume 1 must have, like, has all of his original, like, covers for the, the, the Appleseed manga and stuff like that and designs mm-hmm. and all kinds of good stuff. All right, all right. But, yeah, like, the story, it's like, a, it's like an interesting story, an interesting premise, but it is just kind of, like, dry and heady, and there's, like, there are dialogue sequences in this where I just kind of check out because I'm Mm -hmm. like not following it and I don't feel like putting in the effort to like follow exactly what everyone's talking about. Like I get the broad strokes, but there's a lot of like politicians and different, you know, organizations and Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
all this stuff, which I don't know. It just, I like it visually. I like some of the concepts. It's got some good action scenes, but yeah, long story short, I have always, always been like so-so on it as a film. Yeah. It's, I feel, again, it's probably like the second time I've actually like watched it. And I could see myself, it's, I still gravitate towards like those big action sequences because the story just does not deliver. Mm-hmm. Especially when like you get like such a good combination of story and action with Akira. Mm-hmm. You know, you, and then watching this, you could see how it, uh, you know, it's a little subpar there. I still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Like, Ghost of the Shell is cool. It's a good name. You know, plenty of great designs for things. You know, it probably just kind of came out at the right time. Like, mm-hmm. mid-90s. I mean, you could feel its influence on things, especially Matrix is an easy one. Yeah. Not terribly uh, long ago, I rewatched uh, the first Matrix and was watching some of the, like, special features and interviews and stuff. And the mm-hmm. Wachowskis loved to throw around the name Ghost in the Shell back when they were making that first movie. Yeah. I know I saw like some quote, but it was like even like the part of the pitch for the Matrix was like we want to make this into a movie. Kind yeah, of apparently they showed that movie to like all the people working with them. Is like mm. we are trying to achieve this visually, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when I was you know doing a little research for this podcast, I read that allegedly they cast um, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity because she visually to them looked like somebody who could play Major mm. Kusanagi. Which, you know, body type and everything, she surely sure. could have. Yeah. One thing I thought that was interesting that I was reading is, you know, like we kind of talked about, I would say that between Studio Ghibli, Akira, and this movie, those are like the biggest kind of recognizable anime films to anybody in the United States. Apparently Ghost in the Shell, while it was a sleeper hit here, is not honestly very well regarded or popular in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a rare instance where the popularity is bigger in the United States than there, where mm. it's considered more niche. That's because Americans were getting awfully moody come 95, Mills. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was moving into like Y2K, like again, the Matrix, mm-hmm. like hysteria. Oh, yeah. So this was like a right place, right time probably oh, yeah. for totally. the U.S. market where Japan, I guess, was over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I don't know like what else... The Ghost in the Shell world has to offer. It's again. I want to. I want to get my hands on some of the, the manga just to see. But. Yeah, the original manga, if nothing else, just for the art is great. Mm-hmm. I read Ghost in the Shell one point five, I think, years and years ago. Uh, the single issues of that in the U.S. came out, I think, from Dark Horse. But there's a couple different comics, and then there's been a bunch of, like, anime movies and and series that are, like, spinoffs or sequels to the original film. It's, like, standalone complex or something. Yeah, back when it came out, a friend and I bought, like, the first disc of the the standalone complex. And I remember watching it, and it just feeling like it had nothing to do with the movie. But, Mm -hmm. yeah wasn't super into it myself. And I think a lot of the later Ghost in the Shell stuff after those first initial couple of series weren't de- are, like aren't drawn or anything by Masamune Shiro mm. at this point, so I mean, good movie. Solid anime. It's iconic for all the right reasons. Yep. I've got no problem saying that, but um 
Uh, it's a little surface level kind of enjoyment for it, me. It could use some pep in its step. That's what I'll it say. It could. I mean, it really could. <laughs> yeah, it just, like you said, even it could take out some, it could it could pad out a better story for me and keep it same runtime. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, chop out some stuff, get a shorter runtime. Could be yeah. could both be completely different experience. I think someone could do a fan edit and get this down to 67 minutes mm. and it would be a more entertaining watch for it. But maybe that's just me. The standalone Miller Complex <laughs> edition. Yeah. Sure. Mm. Why not? I like it. All right. Uh, anything else to say about Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, I feel like we covered it. All right. Poster time. Poster time. Appleseed. I've seen this image a billion times. Same. I don't think it's actually created originally for the anime. Uh, no, it looks like comic art. Dunan, I don't think, ever wears anything like that in the movie. Mm-hmm. No. She has a couple different outfits over the course of the manga. I almost want to say that this might have been like promotional art or a cover originally for one of the uh, the manga mm-hmm. and not not the film. I could believe that. Yeah. Also, we kind of discussed it before recording the show. I don't know if there was a like actual theatrical poster for this movie or not, but this is probably like a an advertisement image or a, you know, VHS box cover or something, but it is what it is. Uh, it's meant to promote the movie. Yeah. It's a great piece of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this it's classic Masamune Shiro artwork. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's the guy who created the characters. He gave them their visual style. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's a little tough to judge it as like a movie poster, but I mean, just based on how good the artwork is, I, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I mean, I dig it. It's yeah. cool. It's cool colors. It, it feels a little newer than the movie does, mm-hmm. which is fine. But uh, yeah, I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if anything, the color scheme doesn't really match the movie, which I feel the no. movie was very like blue. It's the, the Miami colors. Yeah. I mean, and this is very like yeah. orange. This feels like uh warm street lamps at night. <laughs> yeah. This feels a little more uh, post-apocalyptic even. Mm-hmm. Or but, desert warfare or something. Yeah. It's still still solid. Yeah. I mean, it's a Masamune Shiro drawing from his heyday, mm-hmm. so nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, then we get to... Just everything about Akira is iconic. <laughs> I, I mean, mean is this, this is image... Is there a more... It's just... I could, see, I could see this parodied every day for the rest of my life in a different way, and I'll still just always be like, yeah... Akira, baby. <laughs> yeah, you know? this image, this poster has been duplicated and parodied and homaged so many times, it's not mm. even funny. But, I mean... It's perfect. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, and if you even just go from, like, a colored theory, like, that blue, that certain blue with that certain red, white text, it is just so simplistic and perfect. Yeah. And I want to say, if I remember correctly, this is based on one of the chapter, uh, like... Like a chapter break? Yeah, like the chapter break artwork. Or So basically, Akira originally came out in installments, as I mentioned earlier, in a magazine called Young Magazine. And every single installment had a, like, full page... Well, it wasn't a full page. It was, like, a partial page, like, introductory image. Mm-hmm. And... um 
there's a great book called Akira Club. It's a hardcover book that mm. is like an art book and has like yeah. all of these like uh, like artifacts of the creation of Akira. Mm-hmm. And it has all, I think it was like 40 something, maybe, or 60. No, it's a lot more than that. I forget how many chapters it originally was. I mean, it's 2,000 freaking pages. Um, it's probably like 120 of these things, but uh, it, it shows off every single one. And it has like little anecdotes from uh, Katsuhiro Otomo about them himself. But I'm pretty sure this is based on one of those. But I mean, what a perfect image. It's so good. So perfectly drawn and colored. And if I ever have a movie room, Milzy, this would be one of the posters. <laughs> yeah, right down to just that little, that crack in the road. Yes. It's. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Even, which we don't say a lot on the show. It's a really good tagline. The end of the world was only the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I feel like um, most of the time on like promotional artwork for Akira, there's a tagline that's like uh, Neo Tokyo is about to explode or something like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, whatever. But yeah, this is probably a better tagline. Oh, this is just so good. The the jacket and the pill. It's just, oh. Yeah, I mean, I love Akira so much that I bought a plain red hoodie and made my mm-hmm. own custom Akira pill jacket. Or, yeah, so <laughs> which I fawned over when I saw it in person. So. <laughs> yeah, so you could say I'm a fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just great, fantastic. And then Ghost in the Shell, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's like the movie. It's very 1995. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like there could have been a way better poster for this. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, it's got like, if you were checking off boxes, like, gotta have a girl, gotta have maybe some cleavage, gotta have a gun. <laughs> maybe some cleavage. This whole poster's message is, hey, kids, there's titties in this. <laughs> then like a kind of like nondescript uh, cityscape. Yeah, it it almost has this just like hackers, the Matrix style. Like, oh, yeah. This is digital feel to it uh mm-hmm. yeah just like a the logo's not really trying to do anything fun it's just kind of there like that that font on ghost in shell mm-hmm. does not feel like it f- would fit normally at all it just i mean with one of the best things about this movie being the visuals mm-hmm. instead of just like a very close cropped image of major kusanagi i feel like there could have been a much more interesting yeah. Totally compelling image to go along with mm-hmm. the title, but yeah, man, hundred percent. Yeah, Milzy, you mm-hmm. know what to do. I mean, Akira. We normally rate out of five, but this gets like twenty capsules. I was gonna say, do we even do? Have we ever given some fives? Uh, maybe once or twice, but I mean, this it's just, it's fucking iconic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, just, uh, it's just an image that I feel like I have seen seven thousand times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this poster is perfect. Yeah, and it's so good. 20 capsules. Mm-hmm. Appleseed, it's a, you know, again, it's a drawing by Masamune Shiro from his heyday, which, you know, wins easy brownie points with me. The overall design isn't like the most amazing thing in the world or anything. But again, I feel like this is probably art that was co-opted from something else and just kind of turned into an advertisement for the VHS yeah. release or something like that. But um, you know, I'll I'll give it uh, four. I'll give it all four of Briarios's eyes. Oh, 
Well played. That big one in the middle is actually his nose. I don't know if you knew that. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. God damn. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, and then he's got the four little cameras around it that are his eyes. Oh, look at you, Milsey. <clears throat> I'm a fan of Appleseed. <laughs> I see that. And Ghost in the Shell, I mean, this is minorly iconic as well because it's a thing that I've seen on ads and box covers yeah. a thousand times as well. But, man, they really could have done so much more with this. Right. I mean, it's not, like, awful or offensive or anything. No, it's just... Uh... So it could it could easily be three spider tank legs, mm. but I'm inclined to almost give it a two, just because it's it kind of uninventive two. and dull. Do what feels right. Yeah. I can dig it. Two spider tank legs. Oh. Well played. Oh. Like your style, son. Now for the moment of truth. Moment of truth. I'll go first. By all means. Uh, not surprising at all. Kira is the buy. Has been bought. Will be bought forever. <laughs> <laughs> I will. T- I will take any bit of uh, Akira Chachki, as you as you know, as someone who. Had a friend make me a 3D printed me the motorcycle. For <laughs> oh Akira. yeah, kind of his bike. One of my favorite things. Shout out to Chris uh, Knowles. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Kira is a easiest buy ever. Iconic masterpiece. When it comes down to the other two, um, I have my gripes in both movies. I'm going to think about like what I would rewatch or what I still would just in general enjoyed more. My borrow is ghost in the shell. Uh, and my burn it's apple seed. It's not getting tossed into the sun. I won't toss it into the, the wasteland or anything, but yeah, I could see myself still gravitating towards watching ghost in the shell again over that. Yeah. So that's, that's how I'm rolling. Uh, Akira goes without saying is my buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cherish it. I own four different versions of the manga because mm. I have the uh, original U.S. single issues, all thirty-eight of them. Uh, I have the Dark Horse Comics six-volume soft covers that uh, were the original way that I read it. I remember I was so excited because, like, I had seen the movie, and I don't even know if I knew about the original uh, Marvel single issues from back in the day at the time. But it was, Mm -hmm. again, like, early 2000s. I'm in high school, and uh, Dark Horse was just putting out the the thicker, like, six volumes. Mm -hmm. And it was like... My birthday was coming up or something, and I got my mom to, like, order me the first volume, I think. And I knew that it had come in the mail, and I was, like, so fucking excited to read it that I remember, like, you know, she was out at work or something, and I, like, snuck into her room and found it, and I just, like, read it (laughs) and then put it back, like, without her knowing it. Because I couldn't fucking wait to read it. (laughs) Unbelievable. I was just, I, I, it's like I knew it was in the house, and I couldn't help myself. I just had to read it. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've got those. Um, I discovered at some point that uh, there's another company that had put out uh, hardcover color editions. Oh. Like back in the 90s. 
but uh, they only ever did the first five volumes. The sixth one never came out, so I have all five of those. And then a couple of years ago, I think Kodansha has the rights to the uh, the American reprints now, and they put out this gigantic box set that has all six volumes in hardcover printed in the original uh, right to left because all of the American versions before had been left to right ever since Marvel first put them out in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Because I guess, again, it being like an early translated manga, they were concerned that uh, American audiences and American readers would uh, be opposed to reading the opposite direction from normal. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so this edition is right to left and also has the original uh, Japanese onomatopoeias which I'm a fan of as well. Nice. So yeah, I own a lot of Akira. (laughs) You do. Uh, So that's easily the buy. I feel like if you could take the visuals of Ghost in the Shell and the action of Appleseed and combine them, you'd have the perfect movie. Hmm. But uh, Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, despite the fact that it's kind of dull, I also am going to give the borrow to Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good movie, but it's just... Something about it has never a hundred percent suited my tastes. Yeah, but it's uh, good, but could be great. Yeah, I mean, Appleseed. I just keep going back to it. It's quaint. It uh, it does not do justice to the source material. I don't feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they took another stab at it later on, which, as we've said a couple times, I we both need to rewatch. But um, yeah, it's it's good. I I don't dislike yeah. it in any way. It's just. Kind Something's of average. has got to go. Yeah. Yeah. So. I like it. Look at us. Yeah. Matching up yet again. I feel like we do that more and more these days. Oh, yeah. Look at that. We got to watch some more controversial uh, uh, trios. Sure. Well, we could be on the verge of something. <laughs> That's true. Uh, what are we going to watch next for the final oh. episode of season five? Ooh, look at that. How many episodes we got to pick here, friend? Uh, 232 themes up for grabs. 232. Here we go. Oh, Milzos. Four. Four? Four. (laughs) What do we got? What do we got? Wow. I just watched one of these recently. (laughs) Uh, I'm not even on the list. What do we got? Theme for next episode is The Dim Universe. Oh, I know that one. (laughs) Ah, okay. Which, Which one did you watch? Uh, the third one? The third one, yeah. Oh, nice. I just, I'd been meaning to rewatch it forever, and then I finally did. And uh, now I'm going to watch it again Man. a couple weeks later. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> yeah. The reasoning for the title of this one is probably on the verge of being lost to time at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. But, uh, you know, a couple years ago when we first came up with this uh, this theme... It would have meant something, <laughs> but mm-hmm. <laughs> time and uh, box office numbers were not kind to the uh, <laughs> the referenced uh, universe. So there you go. Chew on that. See if you can figure out what that means. <laughs> Two of the top ten episodes in the, between this one and the next one. Yeah. Random number, Jenny. Yeah. Hey. She does. Okay. She she plays to the beat of her own drum. I don't know how we're going to, because I've seen all three of these. I don't know exactly what way you, you'll go. So yeah. this would be a good one. I've seen them all as well. In three short weeks, you'll see how it shakes out. Here we go. But uh, yeah, until next time, 
I'm Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy.